How can a poke in the back from the crutch of a one-legged man dying of cancer help a woman rewrite her mental health story after a devastating health crisis? On episode 17 of Cancer and Comedy, you're going to hear how this story turned out for author Angie Reed, and most of all, how Angie can help you rewrite your mental health story after a health crisis. Hey there, Lifter. Dr. Brad Miller here. I had to rewrite my own story when after a 43-year career as a pastor, I was flagged for cancer. Now, I've helped many people in my career to rewrite their story to a better life. (laughs) Now it was my turn. I combined my pastoral experience with a doctoral degree in transformational leadership and created this podcast just for people like you who are not ready to let cancer get the best of you. You get me, and I get you. So let's get started. Cancer got you down? Pretty grim, huh? How about a show that turns the grim into a grin. Way to go. You made it here to the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, the show to lift you up with hope and humor that heals. Hey there, Lifter Uppers. I'm Deb Creer, the co-host of Cancer and Comedy, where we are all about crushing cancer with cool stories from people who use hope and humor in their life as a source of healing. It is so cool that you made it here and have we got a special story for you today. So let's get going. Here is the host of the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, Dr. Brad Miller. Hey, 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 Deb. Thank you so much. Uh, It is always a delight to be with you, to hear your voice and to see your smile and to know that you are one of the key lifter uppers in my life and you speak that lifting up message to our listeners here in Cancer and Comedy. This indeed is the podcast where we look to help people transform the grim of things like cancer to the grin of a hopeful life filled with uh, hope and humor. Hey, uh, hey, Deb, this, uh, you know, we're recording this kind of around Halloween time. And uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you have, do you have anybody in your neighborhood or maybe growing up or even now who is the uh, man or the woman or the couple who really goes all out with the with the Halloween candy? You know, they kind you oh, know, with, yeah. with and uh, the decorations, and everything. The, yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. and they they really get creative with it and that kind of stuff, and maybe get known to the neighborhood kids as the you know the candy man or the candy woman. There's there's a, there's a guy in my neighborhood who liked to call himself the candy magician. And uh, it seems like uh, he always had a Twix up his sleeves. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Well, Deb, uh, today on Cancer and Comedy, uh, we're going to talk about how there is a twist in people's lives when something like cancer comes along. Uh, oftentimes, a cancer or a bad thing, and today we're going to be talking about people dealing with strokes and other things like this. Uh, it causes a transition uh, to happen, not only in our health, but sometimes in our personalities and in our things like our family relationships and in our workplaces. And it may mean that in some regards, in some of those areas, we kind of have to look again or rephrase or reinvent 
ourselves. So, Deb, I, so I just uh, ask you, you know, you've you uh, it's well known to our audience that you've you know been a, a two time stage four cancer survivor, still deal with some health challenges. Uh, how has your situation uh, been caused you in some ways to kind of reinvent yourself or reframe how you deal with uh, other things? Reinvention. Well, you know, there's there's been several things. Uh, the first has been definitely from a physical aspect. You know, I don't have the energy, things like that, that, that I used to have. Now, I don't know, maybe that's just because I'm getting a little older. <laughs> oh, but we'll be it on cancer, right? I um, wasn't going and, there. Yeah, yeah, just realizing, you know, that I have different limitations now. But I think mentally, it is obviously something that we have to deal with. We know that you know, we might have an expiration date that's a little sooner rather than later. And more importantly, I think it makes us evaluate what is important in our lives and who needs to be there. Um, you know, and, and I think that's just so critical is to realize, you know, why not spend your time with people who bring you joy and love rather than those that don't? And that's one of the, the things why I love talking with you on this program is because you're definitely one of those people for me. Mm, appreciate that. I really do. I just, I think there are certain um, kind of natural transition points and pivotal points that people make in life that you somewhat expect, you know, graduating from high school, getting your driver's right. license, you know, uh, getting married, uh, for some folks having a child, uh, starting a career. This, these are kind of these natural pivotal moments in life. And yet there's some unexpected ones too. And uh, mm -hmm. something like cancer is certainly one of those in my particular life. Uh, I had a couple, one of those expected transition points came with the unexpected. I retired mm -hmm. and was planning that for really uh, two or three years before that uh, came about. So I knew pretty close to when I was going to retire and doing mm -hmm. some of the kind of the mental gymnastics and, you know, mm -hmm. financial planning, other things that you do that way. And then, just a month or so uh, after I retired, got uh, blood test back from the doc, got flagged for cancer. And it sent me about a year, you know, a mm -hmm. year or so journey of really mm -hmm. focusing in on that. So I would just say, end up with surgery and treatments and all this kind of stuff. And I would say it led me to reinvent and reframe myself because it certainly contracted my timeline of what I was thinking about what my life was going to be about and had, had to me reevaluate the use of time. So for instance, mm -hmm. I doing this podcast is something that is something that is uh, important to me uh, at that point. I was doing some other podcasts, some other things in ministry and things like that. But this became a focus that I hadn't really thought about before, you know, about doing a podcast kind of focusing on cancer. Mm -hmm. And that certainly led me among other things to meeting you and uh, being able to spend a lot of time with you. And that's been a really cool thing. And so I guess what I'm saying is you can reinvent yourself and it doesn't always have to be, you know, when you deal with cancer, it doesn't always have to be to, you know, the negative adjustment to mm -hmm. my health is deteriorated or whatever, or my mental health is takes a beating, but you can do some other things too, to reinvent yourself. And our, uh, I think we learned some things from our guest today to help us do some of this reinvention. Right. Right. You know, and our guest today has such an incredibly moving story because of what happened to her and the challenges that came after that. You know, when she was young, she had to deal with the death of her stepfather from cancer, and he was very much a, a very important part of her life. And then as an adult now, she has had to reinvent her life as part of recovering from a stroke. Yes, indeed. Uh, our uh, 
guest today is uh, she's an author of a couple of, of several uh, books and articles. But we're going to focus on a couple of her books here uh, today. Uh, her book, uh, Invisible Scars, is the recounting of how, as a uh, as a professional woman and a, a mother of some uh, of uh, teenage children, that she and being in the involved in the public relations job, so it meant she was kind of out in the public. She suddenly had a massive stroke, and that meant that she had to reinvent how she did her life in terms of her mental health, and that's what the book Invisible Scars is all about. And then that eventually led to some transitions in her workplace and her career. Mm -hmm. So she wrote another book about that called Identity Crisis, that uh, about how you are not what your job is. You know, we sometimes identify in that regard. Mm -hmm. and And so we're going to talk today about how you can be impacted by cancer and other things like that. And in this case, for Angie, you know, it was a, a stroke, which was a really pivotal moment for her. Right, but she's we're 46. Not, oh, yeah. my gosh. Mm -hmm. But we're not always prepared for all the devastating mental health challenges mm -hmm. and other things that come along. And uh, she helps us to, to do just that. And we're you know, looking forward to, uh, to having her, her with us. And I'm, uh, uh, I'm looking, looking forward uh, to having a deeper conversation uh, with her. We did want our uh, listeners to know uh, that we all are all about helping people to uplift in their lives. And we, one of the things that we're doing, uh, Deb, right now that I think is a kind of a cool thing is we are in the, uh, the Cancer County podcast has been around for a few months now, and uh, but we are looking to have kind of a grand opening, a grand celebration mm -hmm. of our new podcast and how we have some things to celebrate and what we're all about. So we're having a, uh, a benefit can't, uh, comedy show to kick things off. It's going to be in person and it's also going to be live stream. So we're calling this our live stream launch party. So that's going to happen on Saturday, November the 4th, uh, 2023, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We're actually having an event. The name of the event is called the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit. And uh, at this event, we're having a live comedy show by a comedian by the name of Rick Roberts, who has, is a cancer survivor in his own right. And he was in a movie called The Mayberry Man Movie, where he played a Barney Fife uh, tribute character, does a great job with that. And there's a lot of fun. But a part of his story, he tells how, of his comedy show, is he tells how he dealt with prostate cancer, which is what I, I deal with as well, and how he, he did that. And the cool thing about this is it's a live show here in the community where I live, uh, Whiteland, Indiana, suburb of, of Indianapolis. And so it's a live show, but it's, we're live streaming it to to the world through our Facebook. Atlanta. <laughs> and you're in Atlanta, and people from around the world are going to be able to see this. But it's going to be on our uh, Cancer and Comedy YouTube channel and our Cancer and uh, Comedy Facebook page. And you can get links uh, to those at uh, cancerandcomedy.com slash live. And we hope people will take advantage of that and celebrate with us as we uh, have a launch party to get things going for the Cancer and Comedy podcast. Just remember to check it out, li check it out live stream, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, November 4th. And then, of course, it'll be available on YouTube and on Facebook following that. I love it. You know, technology just makes so many things possible now. Like I said, I'll be contributing from Atlanta. Awesome. 
So following today's interview, you're definitely going to want to stick around for Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day, and more importantly, our faith it or break it segment and our listener lifter stories. Did you know that you can be part of an upcoming episode of Cancer and Comedy with your uplifting story of hope and humor in kicking cancer in the butt? Just go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com and you can leave us a message. And we look forward to doing just that and to hearing from our great uh, our great lifters, uh, lifter uppers here at Cancer and Comedy. Well, right now it's time for our feature interview. Uh, she is an incredible author. As we've mentioned, she's got a couple books out there and other, uh, other writing projects that she is. And she'll talk a lot more about her career as a writer and how this is one of the ways that she processes things in her life. Uh, her books are Invisible Scars, about a recovering from stroke and identity crisis about you are not your career. Her name is Angie Reed, and we welcome her to our cancer and comedy show here. Humor, we're blessed today to have an incredible uh, author guest with us today. Her name is Angie Reed. She is the author of a book about uh, overcoming and dealing with with the impact of stroke called Invisible Scars. And her latest book is called Identity Crisis, which has to do with overcoming challenges in her career. She's also a life coach. Angie Reed, welcome. Welcome to our conversation today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You mentioned to me about a stepfather who really touched your life and helped you set the tone in your life to see things in a life a little differently than the than a present bad circumstance. Tell me a little bit about your uncle and how he or your stepfather and how he touched your life. My stepfather came into my life when I was nine, and then we had him for six years, and and but he passed away from cancer in the in 1985. So I was 15. And so it was very formative years that he was a part of my life. And he was such an important person in my life. He always had the best sense of humor. It was one, it was definitely the epitome of dad jokes before anybody called them that. We used to call them just Charlie jokes. And okay. I, I wish I could remember anything specifically, but they were so bad. We always cringed and we like, oh, Charlie. That's And he always made us laugh, even in his depths of sickness. So he had to have his leg amputated up above his hip bone. And so had to walk with crutches. He wasn't able to get a prosthetic fitted, but he always had his crutches with him. Even if he was lying in the hospital bed in our living room, which is where he we had him for most of the time. So he could be a part of the family activity and the comings and goings instead of back in his bedroom. And I would lay on the, the living room floor watching TV with him. And sometimes he would just lean over and take his crutch and kind of poke me under the armpit. Where I'm <laughs> oh, did you find that? Did you find, was your, were you annoyed by that or was it just, oh, there's Charlie again or whatever, that kind of thing? Yeah. You'd think I would be annoyed as a teenager, but no, it always made me laugh. And I just, I always loved the fact that he was able to bring humor to some pretty horrible situations. He always had the best sense of not only humor, but just always looking at the bright side of things and helping me like look at the bright side of things when I was younger and growing up. And I think that set the tone for the rest of my life. Mm. And you've, it's been a neat, it's a sound like that setting the tone. You said he passed away and you were 15. So this was in some 
pretty formative times in your life. And a lot of times those things that happened to us earlier in life helped to set, indeed set the tone for what happens later. Because later in life, you were having some success in your career and some things were cruising along relatively well. And you had some difficulties to uh, some challenges to to deal with at a pretty young age. Yeah. So at the age of 46, I had a massive right side ischemic stroke. Just one morning I was going about my daily life. I was an active, healthy, otherwise healthy mom and career woman and very focused on my career for the most part. And woke up one morning, was determined to get up and go to work like I normally did, but I couldn't get out of bed. It was very confusing at the time. It's like, why am I not able to get out of bed? And I was jerking the bed a little bit, trying to get myself up and out of the bed. Your mind isn't processing like, oh, hey, my left side isn't working, so I'm not able to get up. It's just, I was just confused. Like, why am I not getting up? And my husband, I woke him up because I was jerking the bed and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to get up and take a shower. He said, you sound like you're drunk. Are you drunk? And I said, well, 6.30 in the morning, I'm, I'm not drunk, no. So, and then he was confused and he said, you sound drunk, I'm going to get up. He got up and turned on the light and saw that the left side of my face was had the telltale signs of a stroke drooping. Yes. And so called 911 and I just went through all the process of going to the emergency room and then being taken to a specialty hospital here in Kansas City, St. Luke's, that specializes in stroke treatment. And I had to have an emergency thrombectomy, which is a laser-guided scope surgery that they go in through your artery and your groin, and the laser-guided scope goes all the way up into your brain, pokes through the clot, and pulls it out. Mm. I was able to have that. It was a life-saving surgery, to be sure, with probably within an hour of my husband noticing my symptoms. I don't know how long it was after that, but it was very shortly after that. I was in the ICU, the neuro ICU, and the nurse was asking me to raise my left arm. And I was able to raise it, which was crazy because it just felt like minutes before I had no no control over my left side. And so this was hugely unexpected because, like I said, I was a healthy, active woman, didn't have any of the risk factors. It just it hit me out of the blue. And I had to be on short-term disability for quite a while. What a shock. What a shock to not only you, but your husband. And you you said you had children and that the and you had to deal with it with your workplace and other things as well. I had to be just throw your world upside down, right? Yeah. The first thing on my mind that morning, which is crazy, was I have to call in to work. I have to call in and let <laughs> them know I'm not going to be there. <laughs> yeah. And then I was thinking as the paramedics were taking me out of the house, I was concerned that my oldest son was 18, was getting ready to go to college in a few in a month from that. And he was able to help me and watch me so I wouldn't get out of bed as my husband was calling 911 because I was so determined to get up and go to work. This is how much of a work drive I had. Yeah. <laughs> and and then I was concerned about my kids. My middle son, who was gosh, he was 16 at the time came out of his room just as the paramedics were taking me down the stairs. And so that had to have been hugely confusing for him. Of course. And then my daughter, who was going into eighth grade, was slept through the whole thing and didn't have that experience and wasn't, (laughs) (laughs) didn't have to watch me. Yeah. Wow. God bless her. (laughs) It's all that. My goodness. I can only imagine that those memories are singed into their brains because I know some of my memories from my stepdad 
going through his cancer treatment and cancer, all of the craziness that came along with his treatment and being in hospice in the house and all of that is burned in my brain. So I. Sure. Yeah, there's sadness enveloped with shock, enveloped with the upheaval of your life and you're concerned about your kids, you're concerned about your work at the, at the time and and that your body is just shutting down and they had to go through these, my goodness, dramatic procedures within a very short time frame after discovering that you were sick. And so that was just the start of the process though, wasn't it? I mean, you had to get through the crisis of the moment <clears throat> and then you had to go through the process of how do you live your life and how do you recover? Because I've been around enough people involved with strokes that sometimes they come back quickly and sometimes they don't and sometimes not at all. How did that play out for you, the recovery of this? Since I got such quick early intervention and had the clots, clots removed so early, I did not have as much of the scar tissue on my brain as many do. And I didn't have as many lasting physical deficits. So I did go to rehab daily for about sometimes up to three hours a day where I would just do back-to-back -back physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Um, and so that was, that became my full-time job because I was on disability at the time. And I was focused on getting back to me, getting all my strength back and just being physically recovered. Because at the time I thought that was the only thing that I needed to do. But really, it was the mental health uh, problems that I experienced a few months later and basically right after I went back to work. I was, I'm a writer and a communicator by trade, and I had just finished writing my very first book, which was a marketing book. And I wanted to get back to work so that I could finish editing it and get it off to the publisher right away. And so I got back to work. I felt fine. I looked fine. I did not look like I had a stroke. So give me some idea about how time frame, a week or two, six weeks from the time you had your stroke, you got back to that, This was about eight weeks. I, I didn't, I hadn't challenged my brain like you do when you're at work those whole eight weeks. It was all about the physical recovery. Sure. Absolutely. And I get back to work and I start reading my book and looking at some of the edits the publisher had for my first pass. And as I was trying to read my work and edit it, I realized my brain was not up to speed. My brain was not quite computing and it wasn't, I wasn't able to work at the pace that I had been before. And it was jarring and shocking to me because I thought I was ready. I thought I was fully healed. And then I just started getting some panic attacks and feeling like I was, when I was going to work, that I was a failure and feeling that I was not good enough anymore and that something was wrong with me. And I, I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe I have lasting brain damage from the, the stroke. And I don't know about it. As the weeks went on, I just started getting more and more depressed because of the anxiety over not being able to perform at work. And it just snowballed by, so I went back to work in September after my stroke. And by Thanksgiving, I was just a shell of myself. I was going through horrible anxiety and depression, although at the time I didn't know that's what they were. But there are two conditions called post-stroke anxiety, PSA, and post-stroke depression, PSD, that are very common among stroke survivors, but they don't really talk about this in the hospital or in this, it wasn't addressed in my rehabilitation regimen. But I ended up having what I call my nervous breakdown because I became unable to function 
unable to think clearly. And I started having racing thoughts and actually I wasn't living in reality. I was convinced my book was horrible. I was convinced I was going to be sued over potential plagiarism or not citing my sources correctly. I was convinced that I would be fired and then I would be a laughing stock. And just, I like all my worst fears, I was convinced they were happening. So you went to some pretty dark places, it sounds really, and maybe some places that were not quite, how should I say, in alignment with where you were at before when you were writing the book, for instance, you may not have had some of the same fears. You were having some unfounded type of fears. Is this anywhere close to where you were at? Very much. And it was a shock to my family. It was a shock to my friends. It's, who is this person? This is not the confident Angie. This is not the happy-go-lucky, positive Angie that we have grown to know and love. And this is somebody else. And something very serious is happening here. So actually, my sister stepped in to help get some intervention. I started seeing a psychiatrist who helped me find a, like a medical regimen of psychiatric meds to help me control my anxiety and depression. But first step, really, I had to be admitted to inpatient psychiatric care okay. twice because I was in such a dark place. At one point, I considered taking my own life. Okay. Um, that was the scariest, darkest day of my life. And I, I was convinced that I would never go back there. And as I was thinking through how I could do that, I had lined up all of my pill bottles on the uh, bathroom counter and had just decided I was going to take them all. But I thought to myself, this is not the legacy I'm supposed to leave. This is not the legacy of Angie Reed. This is, I just can't do this. I can't do this. And so I didn't. And it scared me so much so afterwards that I was just like, how does a person like me, a very positive, upbeat person, go from being normal to being in this dark place. Yeah. And and I and then I understood why people do take their own lives because if you can't your brain is lying to you. Depression and anxiety are lying to you and they're telling you things that are not true. But you are 100% convinced of them. Like me, I was 100% convinced I was going to get fired. I would be a laughing stock. My book would be a huge failure. Just catastrophizing everything. After I got out of inpatient care, I joined um, an intensive outpatient program, an IOP for anxiety and depression, a very intense group therapy. That program saved my life. Seems like you did two or three things here, Angie, that are very important that you had, even when you were going through some suicide ideation type of thing, you didn't get so wrapped up and lost. Like some folks, when they go through suicide ideation, go, they have the deep dips and those depressive moments. They come out of it a little bit and they don't want to go. The pain of going back to the depressed state is sometimes when people carry through with a suicide attempt. But it seems like even somewhere you are starting to recognize and aware of the process in some form or another. Not everybody does that. So that's good. And then you took some pretty massive action. You said you were hospitalized and went through this deep therapy and that type of thing. And that's important because not everybody does that. And I think one of the things I want to want us to understand and hear from your story is you can go to these deep places, deep, dark places. You, it's almost a natural response to something like a stroke. But to get out of it, oftentimes you got to have an awareness, but you can't really do it on your own. So tell me a little bit about how relationships, maybe family relationships, professional relationships, therapeutic relationships, were a part of 
getting back to functioning for you? First saw my psychiatrist. He said, we will get you through this. We will solve this. And just his certainty about that just made me go, okay, yeah, I trust him. This is a nice guy. He comes highly recommended. And he's telling me we will get through it. And he said, we. So I knew I had a team. My sister, one of my sisters went with me to that first appointment. And so my sisters, I have two older sisters, and both of them have experienced psychiatric issues in their lives before. It actually runs in my family, but I had been spared up until my stroke. And so they had both had personal experiences with some of what I was going through, not exactly the same, but some of it. And just knew that they needed to jump in. They saw me in crisis. They jumped in to help rescue me. Also, my husband, he was watching something that he had never seen before. He had never witnessed somebody going through such psychiatric craziness. And he was scared. He was really scared because he felt like he was losing his wife. I was spared the stroke. I was I lived through that only to want to die three months later. And that is a crisis. And we cannot allow people that have illnesses to recover from those illnesses, or at least to get through the immediate, the initial crisis only to want to end their lives. You had a dramatic change of personality. As you said a couple of times in our conversation, you weren't really the same Angie you were prior to the stroke. You were a different person. So he's... This is not what he signed up for, right? <laughs> right. And, they say it's uh, in health, but when, until you're truly tested, it's hard to know. I mean, I was definitely, I was so sick with anything. If you have a physical ailment, like a broken bone, you will go to the doctor and have it set. Now with mental illness, so many people just see themselves as a personal failure or see it as a personal, mm-hmm. just problem that they're having. Not something that they, not something that they need medical help for. I've always known because I've seen it in my family that you have to get help. You cannot solve these things on your own. Now, there's a lot of things that you can learn to do to help manage your mental health. But when you're in severe crisis or you have a chemical imbalance, you probably do need to seek a a professional, a psychiatrist who can help prescribe medication. I love that you did that. You took action for yourself. You took charge of your health, your mental health and your physical health, and you sought out professional advice. And you also leaned in a little bit to family, your sisters, you mentioned husband, your children, all that's good. But then you did something, then you did something about it in terms of being something productive out of this process. You, You wrote a book about it. So let's, and so tell me about what led you then out of this whole experience to start writing your book, Invisible Scars. And what are some of the things that you learned that you're sharing with others that can be of help to them? Hey, my friend, Dr. Brad Miller here. I just want to put a bug in your ear that the Cancer and Comedy Podcast live stream launch party is just around the corner. That's right. The Cancer and Comedy live stream launch party is Saturday, November 4, 2023, 7 o'clock p.m., coming to you live on YouTube Live and Facebook Live. And it is a live comedy show featuring clean comedy legend Rick Roberts. He's in the Mayberry Band movie and TV show, and he does a killer Barney Fife impression. The Cancer and Comedy Podcast live stream launch party is coming to you live from the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefits Show. And if you're in the Indianapolis, Indiana area, come and check it out in person. 
for you, my Cancer and Comedy podcast lifter-uppers. The live stream launch party is at cancerandcomedy.com slash live. Now remember the date, Saturday, November 4, 2023, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. You can find the launch party at cancerandcomedy.com slash live. We'll see you there, turning the grim into grins. We're back with Angie Reed, and we're talking to her about her life experiences and dealing with her own medical crisis of overcoming and dealing with the impact of a stroke in her life, which has led her to uh, really being an, a person who's really focused in on healing and wholeness and mental health and all aspects of, of this. And we've also been talking with Angie about how family plays a part in this and how an attitude with a little bit of cheerfulness, a little bit of humor is a part of this as well. And one of the things you were sharing with me, Angie, was how you just had a really uh, cool relationship with your with your stepfather, which who passed away from cancer, but it really impacted you. But he made a huge impact in my life. He was such a kind, gentle, happy soul. When he was at his sickest, he had to have his leg amputated up above his hip mm. bone. So for the last three years of his life, he had one leg and used crutches to get around. And he always found the humor in, in things that you might not otherwise find humor in and liked to make me laugh and smile and was always telling silly dad jokes before anyone called it that, but found a way to use humor to get, I think, just to get through the crisis. Yeah. And there were a couple of stories, really funny. My mom told me the other day. At some point when he was sick, somebody asked him, and I don't know why, I don't know what the context was leading up to it, but they asked him how many pairs of shoes he owned. <laughs> and he said, zero. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom said, I knew he was going to say that. Yeah. He's, I own zero pairs of shoes. I only have the right shoe of every. <laughs> <laughs> so cool and insightful and biting in a way, wasn't it? Just they were talking about something he was having to purchase. And they said something about it costing an arm and a leg. And he said, well, and he said at least it wasn't that bad for me. <laughs> just a foot or just a leg or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Not an arm and a leg. Sound like quite a character. Quite a character, huh? He was. I just he uh, was, yeah. I love that when we have characters in our life who also have character in their in their soul as well. And that's it's not like that that helped you and that that helps even now carry you through some of these crises that you've been through, some of those memories and those applicable principles that you take with you even now. And you've had these you know, crisis with your health, with your stroke, and then some career crises as well. And you've responded by writing and sharing. Your book is called Invisible Scars. Tell us a little bit about that book. But as I was writing it, I just realized it just, the story just kept growing and I just had more to say. And I really, it morphed into something that I wanted to be able to use to help other stroke survivors who may have been going through what I did. I was very lucky that my physical deficits were minimal after my stroke, but my mental health deficits were astronomical and nobody warned me or prepared me for the crisis that was coming after I survived the stroke. I had debilitating anxiety and depression and it landed me in the hospital a couple of times for mental health help. And I had always been a very happy, positive, 
person had never really struggled with anxiety or depression before. About two months after my stroke, I went back to work and I thought I was ready to go. I didn't look like a stroke survivor. I didn't have the physical deficits that you typically associate. But when I got to work and wasn't really able to read a sentence and comprehend it, what I didn't realize at the time, it was really the anxiety and depression that were impacting my brain more so than any cognitive deficit. That took me a long time to come to grips with because I was sure that I had lasting brain damage from the stroke. So you had to process the physical health part and then understand that some of this was manifested in really your mental health aspect. And you were in a little bit of a, a gray area, as it weren't you, to try to sort that out. I was. And as somebody who typically does try to find the humor or does try to look on the bright side of things, I was unable to find any brightness during that time unable. And that was so unlike me. So it didn't feel like myself anymore. So that's a lot of what I write about in the book is just sharing that post-stroke anxiety and post-stroke depression are very real. They're common among stroke survivors. People just start talking about it. I want stroke survivors to know they are not alone and that if they can get some help and do some things on their own, if you're not able to get a therapist, it's it, you can do so much to manage your own mental health and get out okay. of that dark. Let's yeah. talk about a couple of those things. You, know, you mentioned anxiety sure. and depression, and you're not alone in this, and yet some people feel alone. First, just give yourself time. You're not going to boil the ocean in a day, and a brain injury will take time to heal from. Mental health-wise, there are so many things that you can do to get yourself out of a rut. So one is really establish and keep a routine. A routine is the best thing you can do for your brain and mental health, and just Get out of bed. Get out of bed. And don't stay in bed, even if you're tempted to. You will be tempted to when you're depressed, is to stay in bed and just wish it all away and, and hide under the covers. Don't do that. It's hard to face every day. It's not easy, but get out of bed, open your windows, look at the sunshine, hope to just start each day with a plan of action, knowing what you've got on your plate that day and follow through on your commitments, stick to your routine that. But I think there's just something therapeutic about writing something out, just free, free flow, whatever is on your mind, any concerns that you have, any hopes, dreams, um, any fears that you have, write them down because writing them down releases their power over you. Okay, It gets out of your body, out of your brain, onto a piece of paper, no matter what you do with that piece of paper. You wrote a book about, uh, about your journey through a stroke. And let's apply it now. You've got a recent uh, book that's come out about another important area of life, which impacts people's mental health as well. Your recent book is Identity uh, Crisis. And so let's go there, especially lessons learned from your stroke experience that you applied here. When I first started writing Identity Crisis, it was based on me losing my identity or thought thinking I lost my identity, feeling like I was in an identity crisis after I had my stroke and thought I would never be able to work again or work in communications again, mm -hmm. where I used my brain in that way. And I was so closely aligned with my career and what I did for a living that I, when I had my stroke and thought it was taken away from me, I wasn't sure what my, what my next chapter was. I didn't know if I had a purpose anymore in the world. I was too closely aligned to my career. Now I can see that hindsight is twenty twenty, but I was too closely aligned to achievements, accomplishments, and career career acknowledgement. 
And I, when I didn't have that, I fell into a hole of not knowing who I was and not having anything to fall back on. I didn't know what my purpose was. So it took, it took really working through my mental health to, to understand and working through the whole crisis that happened with the stroke to understand that I needed more in my life. I could not rely only on my career to, to give me fulfillment. And don't get me wrong. I'm a mom. I have three kids and I, of course, my identity and so much of what brings me fulfillment is being a mom. And that's a big part of my identity too. But my kids were a bit older when I had my stroke. So I was no longer mommy. So that's why I started writing Identity Crisis, just talking about the things I learned and just how to find your purpose in life and to move beyond what happened to you. And if people are wrapped up in their life and when a stroke happens or cancer happens or you lose a job or any number of things like that, it is a disruption of everything and much of it related to who you identify as. It impacts your physical health, your body, your ability to do things physically. As you've mentioned, cognitively it impacts how you process things cognitively. And other people have other manifestations of their cancer or their process. Sometimes it's eyesight or hearing or, but it's also has to do with relationships, your workplace, your family relationships, your marriages, all that kind of thing are impacted. And in the context of what you shared here, what are some lessons learned for that person out there who may be going through their own identity crisis? That we are so much more than what we do for a living. If someone were to ask you who you are, or to tell me more about you, and you are not allowed to mention your career in any way, shape, or form, or your title, your professional title, how would you describe yourself? Uh, And that's challenging for most people, honestly. And it's still challenging for me, but I I try every day to remember what I'm most grateful for. So it's also having an attitude of gratitude. Mm. Gratitude will get you through the darkest times. You will always have something to be grateful for, even if it's hard to find it and hard to identify it. There's always a few things to be grateful for, actually more than a few things. I start every day by writing out 10 things I'm grateful for and 10 things I'm really good at. Let's be personal about it just for a minute. Angie, what was one or two things on your list for today that you're grateful for? Today, I'm grateful for sunshine coming our way. It's been very rainy and dreary in Kansas City the last couple of days, and it's supposed to be a little bit nicer today. So I was thankful for that because sunshine can help boost your mood no matter what. And every day, and I continue to say this, I usually say it day in and day out. I'm grateful for my kids' health, happiness, and safety. What are a couple of things that you're good at that you put down today? I'm a good mom. I'm a good writer. I'm a good coach. I like to coach people in how to find confidence after a crisis. But somehow, I've always been able to overcome whatever crisis comes my way and then find a way to make the best out of it or make the next best chapter in my life as good as I can. And I think that goes back to losing Charlie at such a, an impressionable age. I was 15 going on 16, I believe. Put a finer point on it in terms of the applicable, transferable nature to our listeners that so many people, Angie, and I think your, your experience is apropos to many people where things are cruising along relatively okay. You have a disaster and you have to get out of that depression and that anxiety and all that bad stuff. I call it the grim the grim yeah. parts of life. Uh, what we Our catchphrase for our podcast is turn the grim to a grin, which is just joyful uh, life. 
And uh, but you got to be very intentional about it. And the intentionality you've mentioned here is those affirmations that because the basic message we often get is often bad news or negativity, uh, whether it's in the news or in our own life. And so I think a lot of people experience bad messages and loneliness. But you got to be and then be very intentional to deal with those. You got to deal with the personal messages with some positive stuff, and then make some positive connections as well. How, resonate with me? Do you re- does that make any sense to you and what you've been teaching and, and all about? Absolutely. And I also tell people to create a positivity force field around yourself. Mm. It's so easy. First thing a lot of us adults like to do in the morning is turn on the news just so we can. Okay, yep. what's happening in the world? How do I see it today? But honestly, with the news being 95% negative, yes. sometimes it's better to not turn on the news in the morning or not necessarily to read the paper first thing in the morning. Don't right. You don't need to start your day off with the horrible. Mm-hmm. Start your day off with the positive. I like to start out with at least 10 minutes of meditation as well, yeah. just to get my head in the right spot and to just center myself. And then I do my journal. I do my gratitudes and my... So you mentioned several practical steps, and let's, I'd love to do this, Angie, several practical how-to steps for our listeners to, to do. Meditation, journaling, the 10 things to be grateful for, 10 things I'm good at, also the not doing the news and things like that. So yeah. some things to do and some things not to do, because uh, I'd love what you, the, the sub the subtitle of your book that you are not your career. And that indicates to me so many people take identity from something external, whether it sometimes many from many of us, it is a career, but for other people, it is when I used to, when my kids were growing up and they were in sports and music and things, Oh, there's Andrew's dad, or there's, there's, there's Adam's idiot dad yelling on the sidelines when he played the sports and things like that. He's the loudmouth in the stands, that kind of stuff. I was known that way, if you see what I'm saying. That's, that's exactly right. Some of that's cool, but the point is we still need our own identity. We are not just, I have a title, I have an earned doctorate. It's on, I keep it on my wall back there, but it's not who I am. Uh, I have, I was a pastor for 43 years, but that's not exactly who I am. It's a piece of it, but it's not who I am. But we, our identity is not a hundred percent based on external forces. We have to really be intentional about our inner life and let that flourish. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. To be happy, you have to peel away some of those layers of the external the external expectations of you or the limiting beliefs you have because of external situations in your life and to really get at the core of who you are and what makes you tick, what makes you special and being able to play up on that. And so finding that and then really exploiting that as much as you can, because you're right. We, so much of what's externally happening in our world impacts what we think is our happiness, but we're really in control of our own happiness if we do some of these other things and really look within. I have more tips too, besides journaling, meditating, routine. Exercise is very important too. It releases yeah. the feel-good chemicals into yeah. our brains. Even if exercise or do anything that's going to make you sweat or something, which I consider exercise, sure. you can get up. Hey, if you're breathing, you can do something. And I even, if you can fog a mirror, I just tell people even towards the end of life, sometimes they say, just focus on your breathing. If you can breathe, do something. And for 
Most people, though, they can do something, whether it is writing in a journal or making a phone call to a friend or a Facebook post or something like that. You can to give thoughts to people or pray for them. Whatever you need to do, you can send your good vibes their way. There's always something you can do as long as there's something firing in that, your brain there and in your heart and your, and your soul. You mentioned here, Angie, about how one of the things that pumps you up and jazzes you up is coaching and helping being helpful to people. Let's just say that uh, there is a person in uh, my life, a career person who's had a disruption of their, what kind of things are you going to be having a conversation with this uh, woman in my life who might be sending to you? I want people to acknowledge trauma in their life. And if they're going through a hard time, you don't have to put on a happy face and pretend everything's okay. It's okay to be upset and it's okay to be hurt. And it's okay to, you need to be able to express those feelings so that you can work through those feelings. And then the next is really finding out what is your ultimate driver in life? What is your big why? What drives you to accomplish the things you accomplish or do the things you do? What is your big why? Whether that's your kids, your grandkids, leaving a legacy for your family. That's one of my big things is in my darkest time, After my stroke, when I was having mental health crisis, I did go through a period where I considered taking my own life. Mm -hmm. But I thought, this is not the legacy I'm supposed to leave. Figure out what that why is there, what their purpose is, if that's what you want to call it. And then being able to take the steps to explore how to get there and how to build passion around that. And then how to build your self-confidence by going through and reminding yourself of the successes you've had in your life. It's called success stacking. Let's remind you of all the different things you've been successful at over your life. And it could be as small as passing a class in school or something. And you can write it out and write out your successes in a stack. So you can see throughout your life, you have been successful. You have overcome hardship. So you have done this before and you can do it again. And that's that's awesome. I love that. Uh, finding your big why and building on that, stacking on, on that. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And I just got a feeling when people come to you, um, it's a good thing. It's a good it's a good thing. But you mentioned one of the good things in your life, Angie, was uh, your relationship uh, with your stepdad, uh, Charlie. Now, that's a thread going through your life, especially as you you had this overall uh, countenance about you of seeing the brighter side of life, which was devastated during your stroke and other things that you've had to deal with in your life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes going back to those memories, other things help bring you back a little bit. I know you said you had a story you wanted to share about Charlie. He liked to always poke fun of me and and make me feel, just make me laugh no matter how he could. But and we also, say poke funny, do you mean he physically would poke you or say something snarky to you or whatever? He physically poked me. Okay. And he would take his the end of his crutch and poke me under the armpit and just make me laugh when I was... Like we would hang out in the living room. His hospital bed was in the living room because he was on hospice toward the end of his life. But he wanted to be around family, not sequestered back in his room. So as much as we could, we kept him in the living room until it became the very end. And he needed to be away in his room. But he used to just I'd be sitting on the ground watching TV and he would poke his little crutch over and under my armpit and make me laugh. And it was just like, oh, Charlie. There were other times when I was the ugly duckling growing up. I was not the prettiest. I have two older sisters and they were always prettier than me. And 
older than me. So they would, they had boyfriends before I did. They were going to prom and school dances before I did. I remember one day I was sitting in the basement, listening to my records on my record player back in the eighties, obviously. But I was feeling really down on myself thinking I'm not pretty, I'm chubby and I'm never going to have dates like my sisters do. And feeling just very down on myself. And he must have known, he must have sensed it. He came downstairs and just started talking to me and said, I remember he said something about, he told me the ugly duckling story. And he said, you will turn into that swan someday. He goes, you just need to have faith. And I just, I just remember that it built my self-confidence up at a time when I truly needed it. I was going through puberty. I was 11 years old, 11 or 12. Yeah. And that's when you need that positive influencer in your life. And he was that for me. And he always made me feel seen and made me feel so much love. And probably every, whenever you hear, if you get poked or if somebody does a pokey motion or whatever, I get, I bet you that kind of brings back some memories yeah. for you about the good kind of being poked, not provoked, yes. but, but provoked. poked, right. but poked in terms of a, being tickled or, or a memory of that good thing and how he helped. I love stories of transformation and that's the ugly duckling to the beautiful swan is a classic story of that. And right. he made that come to life for you. Didn't he? That is awesome. He did. That is he awesome. Did. You have done a wonderful job taking the vulnerability of your story, your stories about stroke and about mental health uh, conditions and about suicide ideation and about careerism and family life and all kinds of things. And I want to say, yay, God, I admire that so much because it takes so much for someone to be that vulnerable, to put it out in books and to share in podcasts and things like that. That is an amazing thing. And that is a gift to others. That's the kind of thing, Angie, that helps uh, other people to have that opportunity to have that message of, of affirmation that you share here, that transformation of ugly duckling to something beautiful. So if people want to get a hold of you, be in contact with you and learn more about what you are about, get your books or learn more about you, how can they do that? Yeah, all my books are available on Amazon and you can look up Angie Reed. It's R-E-A-D. And so all of my books are listed under my author page, but you can also look them up individually. Invisible Scars, Stroke Survival, Recovery, and the Unexpected Mental Health Impact. Uh, Also, I have a a short book. I call it a little booklet. It's called Mental Health Hacks, 10 Easy Hacks to Help Manage Anxiety and Depression. And that really was written for folks in mind that might be in the middle of crisis and can't come, can't bring themselves to read a longer book. And it's very, some of the things that I did that helped me on my journey. So I document those and I call them hacks. And then my latest book is Identity Crisis, You Are Not Your Career. It's been a pleasure being with you and you have added so much to our cancer and comedy audience with your great stories and with your personality and what you have offered with your intellect and everything else. Her books that we've talked about here today are Invisible Scars, An Identity Crisis. She is author Angie Reed. We'll put connections to everything she is all about at cancerandcomedy.com. Angie Reed, thanks for being our guest today on Cancer and Comedy. I do want to say a word of thanks to Angie Reed for being our guest here uh, today on Cancer and Comedy. We a great story, and I just love some some key aspects of it that I think were key takeaways. There were some parts about you know her stepdad that really moved me uh, for one thing, him poking her, and kind of that kind of became kind of the 
the line of some positivity through a, a tough, tough life that uh, are tough circumstances that she found herself in. So, Deb, what did you think about our conversation with uh, Angie? What were some takeaway points for you? Well, you know, again, it was just so moving to to hear her stories, and there was humor in it. I loved hearing the stories about you know how her her stepdad would respond to questions, uh, and you know, and, and he only had the one leg. I mean, that was just absolutely hilarious. We would wouldn't it have been great to have had him on the program? Um, but you know, one of the things that struck me that she talked about was the fact that we have to have patience with ourselves as we heal, you know, obviously her brain needed to heal, um, after a stroke, but we all have, you know, our, our bodies have to heal. And more importantly, I think it's that our spirits and our souls have to heal. And so she really talked about, you know, how to do that, but the importance of getting help when you need it. Um, and I think, you know, mental health still has a lot of stigma that is associated with it. And so it's just so, um, interesting and, and valuable to listen to her talk about it, to take that stigma away and to show that there's, there's nothing wrong. You know, it's, it is just an illness like any other type of illness, but you do need to, to, you know, if, if needed, you need to get assistance. And she had, you know, several really great things like talking about journaling and planning and all of those things, which, you know what, we could probably all use all the time. Yeah. Those are interesting, uh, uh, hacks, if you will, that she mm -hmm. mentioned, kind of how we can have mental health hacks to do things. In fact, one of them, I think it was she kind of mentioned how the fact that her stepdad would literally poke her with his crutches mm -hmm. kind his of crutch. became a, yeah. mm -hmm. and that, that imagery kind of became a physical thing mm -hmm. moving forward. And I, she, she talked about one hack, for instance, doing something with mm -hmm. your hands, mm -hmm. you know, keeping busy with your hands. Uh, uh, I think it was knitting that she did mm -hmm. some of that too. And maybe not very good, but did some with hands. I know mm -hmm. some other folks I know who really, uh, they like play guitar or something like this, right. or they would, they would work with wood mm -hmm. or they, you know, uh, do something else, uh, mm -hmm with their hands, they are always uh, doing something. So I think there's some hacks that way they're interested. Right. Do you have any kind of hacks that you do? You know, it, it's funny. One of the things that I do is I like to cook. Now I'm not a very okay. good cook. I it's, it's a lot of what Angie was talking about where you're focusing your brain on something else. And so as I'm cooking, I'm not thinking about, Oh, woe is me. I'm thinking, don't cut your thumb off. Don't cut your thumb off, right? <laughs> and, you know, and, and so it's it's a way to deal with what's going on and, and still turn it into a positive. One of the things that Angie did give us is she told a great story that integrated her history with her, with her family, her stepfather, mm -hmm. her present circumstances with her family now, the, mm -hmm. the things that went on there, how she had this major health issue that changed her personality from kind of being a bubbly, vivacious person right. to one who had dealt with some real serious depression mm -hmm. and then how she applied it then in other places like the workplace. Mm -hmm. right. And I think that's an important thing too. Do you have anything you want to share about how workplace situations can change as well? Sure. You know, as you mentioned, she's written a great book called Identity Crisis. You are not your career. And its focus is on what happens when you kind of unexpectedly lose your job? And it was interesting because she was writing it and then poof, lost her job. Um, but it, it we get so tied up in our career that when something changes, it can have a, a large you know, effect on us, even if it's a change that we wanted or even, you know, asked for, did ourselves, because we, you know, we we do, we get so tied up in I am that 
fill in the blank. Um, president, founder, you know, salesperson of the year, all of those things. And none of that, that's just a small part of who we are. And so we need to remember that we are a whole person and our career uh, is really just a, a small part of that. I love how you said that. We are a whole person. Uh, we are, you know, not just the sum of our parts. We're mm -hmm. integrated. We are synergistic. We're a whole person. And that's the, that's the physical, that's the spiritual, that's the emotional, that's the relational. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, our careers are a part of that. But, uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, Angie helped us a lot. I commend her to you. We'll put connections mm -hmm. to Angie Reed and everything we're about here at CancerAndComedy.com. We thank her for being for being our guest uh, today on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's change focus a little bit. It's now time for our Cancer and Comedy segment, Dr. Brad's Bad Joke of the Day. So there was this uh, biologist who did a study about frogs. And basically the study was about how far frogs could jump. And he was, was experimenting with this uh, great big bullfrog. And he got the bullfrog and put it on a, on a measuring area, a place where he could measure the distance that the frog would jump. So it was an extended area where there was markings laid out for uh, inches and feet and so on like that on the floor. And he got down and he yelled at the bullfrog, jump, bullfrog, jump. And indeed, the bullfrog jumped. And the biologist took the, took the measurement, and he wrote in his notebook, healthy frog can jump 36 inches. Then he caught off the frog's right front leg. He sealed the wound up. And again, he got down in the bullfrog's face, and he said, jump, jump, frog, jump. This time, the frog jumped, and indeed, it jumped, but this time... As you might expect, the frog jumped just a little bit shorter, and the biologist wrote in his notebook, removed one leg, frog can still jump 33 inches. Then he cut off the frog's left rear leg. He did the same thing. He got in front of the frog, and he yelled, jump, frog, jump. The frog jumped. After measuring the length of the jump, the biologist wrote, in his notebook, removed two legs. Frog can still jump 22 inches. The biologist then cut off the frog's left front leg. And again, he did the same thing. He got right into the frog's face and said, jump, frog, jump. The one-legged frog could barely jump at all. And the biologist wrote, remove three legs. Frog can jump six inches. Finally, the biologist removed the poor frog's right rear leg and said, okay, frog, one last time. And he got down on the frog right in front of him. He said, jump, frog, jump. The frog was just there. He just laid motionless. Again, he yelled, jump, frog, jump. Frog still did nothing. The biologist wrote in his notebook, removed fourth leg. Frog is gone deaf. Oh my gosh. You always come up with the best jokes. So now it's time to shift gears a bit for Dr. Brad's Faith It or Break It segment. In our Faith It or Break It segment, let me tell you the short story about two guys who both had faith over fear that kept everybody afloat. 
several years ago, my family was on vacation whitewater rafting, and we went on this whitewater rafting trip, and there was an older woman on the trip who had no business being on the trip, and she panicked while in this raft on a whitewater section, and she fell out of the boat, and she took her paddle and whacked me across the head and chest with it as she went out of the boat, and she and I both went in the water. And I cracked my head on a rock and hurt my legs on a rock underneath the water. And the woman was hanging on to me. And I was really starting to drown. I was in trouble. And when I really thought I was in real trouble, suddenly this hand came from above and grabbed me by my arm. And I'm not a small guy. And lifted me out of the water and pulled me into the boat. It was my 18-year-old son who was a high school athlete, and he used every bit of his strength to pull me out of the water into the boat, and he really saved my life. Really did. There was another guy who was in the water. A guy named Peter was out fishing when Jesus came along and uh, said to, uh, to them, come and walk on the water. And Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, let me come to you. Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter then began to walk on the water and came toward Jesus. But then he got afraid, and he began to sink out of his fear. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus then reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Here's my lesson for today on the Faith in a Break It segment. When you live in fear it's much more likely that you're going to sink. Whether you have cancer or something else, if you live in fear, you're going to live in a place that is going to bring you down. But if you have faith in something greater than self, if you have faith in Jesus, in the case with Peter, and I had faith in my son who was strong enough and capable of lifting me out of the water when I was kind of hurt and trouble. If you're in trouble, Always choose faith over fear, and that will lift you out to a place above water and into the life. That's turning the grim of death into the grin of life. And that's your Faith It or Break It segment, choosing faith over fear. It's time now for our Listener Lifter Upper segment which is where we hear from the folks who listen to Cancer Comedy with their own uplifting stories of how they have been coping with cancer in their life. We just want you to know that you can always share your listener, lifter upper segment with us here at Cancer Comedy. We listen and who knows, maybe we'll share your story. You just go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com and just leave us a voicemail. And we listen to your story. Our Lifter Upper Listener segment today is from Rick Roberts from rickroberts.com. Rick was a guest on a previous episode of Cancer and Comedy, and he is the featured performer at the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit, which is the launch party for the Cancer and Comedy Podcast. It's on live stream on Saturday, November the 4th, 2023, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. You can find it on live stream at cancerandcomedy.com slash live. And Rick is a tremendous comedian, but he also has a wonderful story 
of his own recovery from cancer. So let's hear a part of his story right now. It's like getting punched in the nose, you know, it's like, okay, they got my attention now. So let's, let's get it taken care of. And, uh, and, you know, it was upsetting and all these things, but literally I had one full day of, of just like sadness and depression and worry. And then I prayed probably two hours at night. And just from there on, I just, whatever happens, happens, you know, I did all the things that you do uh, before major surgeries and started making Here's a list of all my passwords in case I, you know, the robotic arm goes haywire or the power goes off or the Wi-Fi disconnects when this robot. I'm like, why do I have a MySpace password still? And CopyServe, what is going on here? And Kinkos, I could just delete these. You do all those things, made a little folder of everything, wrote letters to everybody in case I didn't come back from it and all these things. Well, Lifter Uppers, this brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Cancer and Comedy with Dr. Brad Miller. Did you know that we like to call you who follow Cancer and Comedy Lifter Uppers or Lifters for short because Cancer and Comedy is about telling uplifting stories of people like you who are kicking cancer's butt with healing through hope and humor. And Dr. Brad has already told us how you can do that. But did you know that you can also keep up with everything Cancer and Comedy through our Cancer and Comedy Chronicles newsletter. Just go to newsletter.cancerandcomedy.com. Well, that's it for now. Please join us next time on Cancer and Comedy. If you like what you hear, please pass the podcast on to someone in your life who needs their grim turned into a grin. For Dr. Brad Miller, I'm Deb Creer, reminding you that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Make sure you visit our website, cancerandcomedy.com, where you can follow the show and get our newsletter. Like what you hear? Then tell a friend about Cancer and Comedy, the show that lifts your spirits with hope and humor that heals. Until next time. Keep turning the grim into a grin.